This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We welcome you to this uh, Thursday edition of Real Talk. Thanks for being here, Jesperson and Hicks. We've got a great show for you in store coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to check in with our pal Philippe Fournier of uh, 338 Canada. He's a poll analyst, and we're going to take a look at some recent numbers, uh, taking a look at how the provincial premiers are faring how their own constituents feel, their popularity, you might call it in layperson's terms. We'll take a look at federal vote intention as well when it comes to the, the federal parties. The conservatives are, are gaining ground. You could say if an election was called right now, the Trudeau liberals would be in real trouble. We'll ask Philippe if he thinks that might hold. No, there's not been an election called yet, but we're always paying attention to these types of trends, and you better believe the political parties are as well. We're also going to talk to Chris Gloninger, and we've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. It's tough subject matter. We're going to be speaking with a guy that's made a decision to walk away from a career of nearly 20 years. He's worked in some of the biggest American markets, a meteorologist in Boston, now the chief meteorologist in Des Moines, Iowa. But he's been receiving death threats for his reporting on climate change. And he says for his own mental health, he's leaving the industry. But he's not quitting his advocacy on behalf of planet Earth. This is a good news story in a way. And, and I think that you'll enjoy what Chris has to say. And in just a second, we're going to do a follow-up on a story that was, well, an explosive one in our home province of Alberta back in January when the CBC reported that Alberta Premier Danielle Smith's office had been in touch via email with Crown prosecutors, uh, in a sense, uh, applying pressure, asking them to walk back some of their efforts to prosecute charges that were laid after that Coots border blockade. You remember that one where the RCMP seized the firearms and it was all part of that freedom convoy. Type. You remember that? January, February, into March of 2020, uh, 2023. This is what everybody was paying attention to, obviously, and, and, and that story reported in January 2023 based on the events of the year previous. The CBC's walked it back. Danielle Smith, we asked her about it, Alberta's premier, when she was in here just a short time ago, said, whatever happened to your plans to sue the CBC? And she said that she had had plans to reach out to them, to talk to them. Remember, she had said by way of her office that if the CBC apologized, then she wouldn't sue. And people kind of scoffed at it. But yesterday, after we stopped recording Real Talk, the CBC did issue a retraction, and we're going to take a look at that. These stories continue to write themselves, and that's our promise to you that we'll continue to pay attention to these stories so we always are in the know. We're always up to speed on our understanding of what's happening all around us. I wanted to take a quick second to let you know that certified financial planners in Canada are, are earning in the 120 grand a year range right now, and demand for them is growing fast. So if you're looking for direction on something, if maybe you've always felt like you have a skill set that would do well in an industry like this, you can become a, a CFP, a certified financial planner with Business Career College. You could launch your own business, earn great money, and help other people achieve their financial goals. Business Career College is the best place to get your CFP with online courses. Uh, they've got expert instructors to help you through and decades of experience helping people succeed. You can learn more today by visiting businesscareercollege.com. 
It was uh, back in January of 2023 when uh, CBC reporters Megan Grant and Elise Von Scheel, both of them with solid reputations in Alberta's media landscape, recorded, uh, reported rather that the Alberta Crown prosecutors had felt political pressure about the Coots border cases. This is the blockade in southern Alberta. And uh, of course, uh, I think that the story speaks for itself. You remember the images, tractor trailers, farm equipment blocking that border crossing and of course stopping uh, traffic and, and and for that matter halting commerce it was a story that gleaned national attention and international attention when the rcmp executed a warrant and seized weapons laying charges relating to that as well a cache of weapons that some have suggested uh, were to be used in what was being described as a plan to initiate a firefight a potential firefight with law enforcement. It was a dramatic story and it got even wilder. It became even more prominent in the public eye when the CBC reported that, of course, Crown prosecutors had been feeling political pressure from the Premier's office, from Daniel Smith's office, relating to their assessment and prosecution of cases linked to that blockade. Premier Smith, from the outset, said that that never happened. She said that those emails had not been sent. And folks looked back to interviews that she did with Rebel Media with Ezra Levant, where she implied that she had been in touch with prosecutors. And then, of course, that recorded conversation, we played portions of it to you earlier this year with that so-called street preacher, Arthur Pavlovsky, who's been convicted on Coots-related charges, by the way. You remember in that conversation, Premier Smith said that she'd been having almost weekly conversations with prosecutors, and she later clarified, said that she had been speaking with her justice minister at that time. Alberta Solicitor General Tyler Shandro at that time said that she had not directly contacted Crown prosecutors, nor had members of her team. Well, this went to Alberta's Ethics Commissioner, Marguerite Tressler, and we told you this a while ago, several weeks ago, that uh, the Ethics Commissioner said that she found, quote, no such evidence of an email. And she concluded that no one from the Premier's office directly emailed prosecutors about any of those cases. Now, Danielle Smith is saying now that she feels vindicated uh, with the CBC posting this retraction, and I'll get to that in just a second, but it is worth noting that the ethics commissioner did conclude that Alberta's premier was not squeaky clean on this. She contravened the Conflicts of Interest Act by talking to then-Justice Minister Shandro about one of those cases. And the premier has acknowledged this, and Daniel Smith has apologized for that. Well, the story got a little bit more interesting. The plot thickened, so to speak, yesterday When the CBC added uh, an addendum, or actually right at the top, uh, is this a retraction or not? You decide. But when you see a news outlet using the word regret, it's significant no matter which way you slice it. You can see the story. It's still posted. It was originally released January 19th, 2023 at cbc.ca. The headline, Alberta Crown Prosecution Felt Political Pressure About Coots Cases. The editor's note right at the top of the story says an earlier version of this story referred to emails allegedly sent by a staffer in Daniel Smith's office to the Alberta Crown Prosecution Service. Based on testimony by confidential sources, CBC News at the time described those emails as challenging prosecutors' assessment and direction on these cases. An editor's note was added the following day to specify that CBC News had not seen the emails. That was the first uh uh-oh. But a lot of people said, well, there's, 
this is the CBC. These are skilled and reputable reporters. I mean, this is an, uh, a news outlet, an agency that has been looked to by Canadians for many years to provide reputable, objective reporting that people can stand by. A lot of people defended the CBC almost blindly, saying we know these reporters. We know this outlet. I find it very hard to believe, number one, that they would release this story in the first place without seeing the emails And number two, that the story would stand without an apology, even if they hadn't seen the emails, if they trusted those confidential sources. Remember, some people were implying the source might have been Jason Kenney himself. I'm not saying it was. I'm not saying it wasn't, but I'm definitely not saying it was. The retraction, so to speak, goes on to say after the ethics commissioner's report was released, CBC News reviewed its journalism and re-interviewed a number of sources. Confronted with the commissioner's report, our sources have insisted that Crown prosecutors felt political pressure, but they are not able to confirm the emails they originally described were sent directly from the premier's office to the Crown. That's a problem. And this goes on to say, as such, we have updated the story and related pieces, removing references to direct contact between uh, contact between the premier's office and prosecutors, which the premier's vehemently denied. CBC News regrets reporting direct contact by email. Is it the right move to retract, to correct? Obviously. Is it unfortunate that it took this long and a threat to be sued for it to happen? Yup. What does Danielle Smith say about this? Well, she was on Twitter yesterday and said exactly what she said sitting in this studio a short time ago. And you can catch that interview in our archives. Uh, Said Danielle Smith, obviously a former talk show host. Journalism is an integral part of our society and all I've ever asked for is fair, accurate and balanced coverage. After months of the CBC reporting interference between my office and the Crown, uh, today CBC News removed references to direct contact between my office and regrets reporting direct contact by email, says the premier, I've been vindicated, as has my office. And then, of course, you knew this was coming. She says, now that the CBC has expressed regret for its inaccurate reporting and Albertans know the truth, I consider the matter with the CBC closed. Additionally, I'm asking the Alberta NDP to acknowledge their error also and retract and apologize for spreading this misinformation. I doubt the NDP will, but maybe they'll surprise us. Ultimately, what are the implications here? This is a tough situation for for two journalists that I know personally and a lot of people that work in the CBC newsroom that work hard. Uh, This is a a tough one for them because it's a blow to their reputation, to be sure. It's also a blow to the reputation of journalists everywhere at a time where journalism is under attack. And that's certainly a fair statement. You see evidence of it all around. Uh, By the way, in just under two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about Bill C-18, the Online News Act, and Meta's fight, Facebook, with the government of Canada, and the, the fight for Canadian journalism outlets to survive, and all that kind of stuff. We're going to be going there. But I'm also talking about the personal threats. I mean, we're going to be talking to a meteorologist, Chris Kleininger, in about a half hour or less from now. He's going to tell you. What he describes as PTSD, the mental health implications of some of the abuse that he's taken. We see journalists attacked verbally. We see them attacked online and in some circumstances, if not here in our own cities, certainly internationally, we've seen journalists harmed, even murdered for what they're doing. Now, I'm not trying to bring murder into this conversation, but I don't think anybody would disagree with me if I assert that it is a tougher slog now than ever before to be reporting, 
and to be reporting what you believe to be the truth by putting uh, stories through your investigative process, by putting your name in the byline of a story and releasing it, essentially saying to your audience, I have vetted these details so you can, in good faith and confidence, believe them to be accurate. And a situation like this, unfortunately, hurts the credibility of not just the CBC, but of the craft. And that includes us. And so I can guarantee you that talk hosts and reporters and anchors and assignment editors and managing directors and everybody else has a bit of a pit in their stomach seeing this happen. This is a win for Danielle Smith. You can let us know what you think to talk at ryanjesperson.com. If this is a fit you think maybe for trash talk coming up tomorrow presented by Local Environmental, you know where to send us that email. We're going to be talking to Philippe Fournier in just a second about provincial and federal polling, but let's mention local environmental services. You know, they've been one of our sponsors since the very first episode of Real Talk. They've been with us through the big stories breaking and the follow-ups. This is a company that has employees that are, of course, very proud to be contributing to the communities where they live and work. That's kind of their whole thing. You know, you look at a garbage and recycling company and you go, well, it might just be only garbage, but not to them. They know that when you're making your choice on where you're going to bring your business, you're thinking about the health of your community. Yeah, you want better service. Obviously, you want better prices, but more support for local causes. That's a great sell. And that's what you get when you go with localenvironmental.ca. Our friends at California Closets wanted you to know that right now their team is taking requests for free consultations. Yeah, sure, for custom closets and storage solutions. I mean, that's what they do better than anybody else, making the most of your space with custom organizational systems, those little luxury touches that you won't get anywhere else, the experienced designers and installers that will elevate your organization game to a level you never dreamed of. But they're also doing a ton of work when it comes to garages, the workhorse of the home. Why not get your garage to work for you with a garage storage cabinet designed by California Closets? You can learn more about how they work and get inspired with some design ideas today at californiaclosets.ca. Wanted to take a second to let you know that our friends at Apex Automation are hiring right now. And if you're a professional engineer or soon to be graduating from an engineering college, an engineering school anywhere in Canada or around the world, Apex would love to talk to you. They'd love to see if you're a good fit and some of those innovative products and projects that they're working on. Edge computing, machine learning, data visualization, uh, never mind things like autonomous vehicles and all the other cool stuff that is defining the next steps that industry's gonna take. Apex Automation is growing faster than any other automation firm in Canada, and they'd love to show you how they value their people over their profits. You can check out the career link today at apexautomation.ca. And we also want to take a second to recognize the 6,000 technical, professional, administrative, and clerical workers within Civic Service Union 52. That's CSU 52. 
If you're in Edmonton like we are, did you see them gathering outside City Hall the other day? These are passionate people who love their city. CSU 52 has over 6,000 members working to build in Edmonton with great services, libraries, rec centers, clean water, and responsible energy. They're behind the scenes to make sure that their city works so that high demand services are right here around the clock. CSU 52 members are dedicated to an Edmonton you can count on, an Edmonton that's inclusive, vibrant, and connected. CSU 52 is an Edmonton for everyone. Our leadoff guest this morning is a good friend of this show, as he tweeted yesterday from his account at 338 Canada, which we always appreciate. He's making his fourth appearance on Real Talk. He's a poll analyst and a pundit, and it's always a pleasure to connect with Philippe Fournier. My man, thanks for making time for us. It's nice to see your face again. Bonjour, mon ami Ryan. It's great to see you. Yeah, Where are you joining us from this morning? Are you at home? I am in my home in Montreal right now in big heat waves, so I've got the AC on and uh, uh, been enjoying the, the few last days of vacation. I'm stopping my vacation today to speak with you. Oh, I love that very much. And, and for those that are listening on the podcast, the majority of our audience, I'll let them know you are clean shaven. You're wearing a beautiful black pressed shirt with a slick gray blazer. You got all dressed up to do our podcast, Philippe. We sure appreciate that. Hey, man, you heard my opener uh, about the CBC walking back its reporting, its claims uh, following uh, essentially a threat of litigation from Alberta's premier. What do you make of this story? What do you think the implications are? Ooh, this is a this is a tough one. The thing is, it, it, mistakes in journalism happened on a regular basis. It, it's just that 99% of their stories will be okay, but it's that 1% that they will miss, especially if it's a, it's a, on a premier or a prime minister or a, a cabinet minister. Uh, these stories will have legs. And uh, yeah, I know, I know a lot of people in journalism that don't like this one, but they have to, they have to carry it. They have to bury it and uh, they have to live with it now. Uh, it happens. I mean, the analogy that I can have is posters sometimes miss the mark. And what do they do? They don't abandon. They, 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 they try to correct the course. They try to improve themselves, but it will leave a mark for sure for, for a little while because, of course, Madame Smith, you know, she still was, uh, you know, attacked by the, uh, the uh, commissioner of ethics, right? So she's not entirely clean, but she will take that as a W for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like we said, uh, Daniel Smith not squeaky clean on this one, but certainly the winner on this one. I know these reporters, uh, Philippe, and I know them to be diligent, and I know that probably nobody is more pissed off about this, quite frankly, than oh, yeah. they are. Maybe a little pissed off at themselves. Maybe a little pissed off at their confidential sources for sure. I mean, I'm not being the told you so guy because trust me, I fucked up in my career as well. But we have sat on stories and not reported them because we didn't quite have enough to run with it. And once those horses are out of the barn, once the story's been released, you can't really walk them back without a pretty prominent retraction like this one. So it's always a tough situation. I think it hurts the industry too, quite frankly. It does. People, you know, you look at right now, I mean, you're a poll analyst. I don't have fresh numbers in front of me, but you've seen this too. You look at professions right now that are dealing with trust issues and journalism is one of the tops, like not in a good way. Yeah. Uh, journalism has experienced a real loss of public trust. I think that there's a really supercharged political elements to that. But no matter which way you slice it, that's a fact. Absolutely. it's uh, We live in an age right now where information, good information is also buried in a ton of misinformation. And there's a lot of uh, financing and eyeballs and clicks to be had in publishing stories that are just 
untrue or just misleading. And so journalism, real journalists that do the real work have to work through that. And when they screw up, uh, they, they get mingled with that, the, the, the fake news. So, uh, you know, it, every opportunity like that is, is a learning opportunity for sure. Yeah, very well said. Hey, Philippe, well, we're grateful to have you here to, uh, to, to analyze some of these numbers that we're seeing. And, and we'll be quoting um, both the Angus Reid Institute as well as Abacus data for provincial and federal numbers, respectively. While we're talking about Daniel Smith, why don't we go there first? The Angus Reid Institute releasing numbers this week, uh, taking a look at which provincial premiers are, you know, uh, essentially winning the trust and the, in some circumstances, admiration. I mean, some of these numbers are pretty impressive, yeah. uh, looking at Saskatchewan in particular, of their electorate. And, and other premiers are, are, are really struggling and, and might be in a little bit of trouble. What jumped out at you about the numbers in Alberta? How's Daniel Smith doing? Well, I'll, uh, you know, uh, Daniel Smith won the, the election just uh, over a month ago. And, uh, you know, we know that many conservatives were reluctant to vote for her, uh, but they still did. I mean, the UCP went from 55 percent in 2019 to just over 52 percent. So the base held strong. But we know a lot of conservatives held their nose and figured, you know what, I, I, it's better than the alternative. I don't want to go to the NDP. So the, Madam Smith's numbers are not as high as she would want to. Uh, but you know, uh, right now she has four years in, in front of her, so uh, so she has the benefit of time. And not all positions in that list of premiers has that luxury. Um, we saw that Doug Ford in Ontario is also uh, back to his pre-pandemic numbers in the 30s. Uh, so th there are some uh, some premiers uh, in hot water right now in in this country. We see that Monsieur Legault is still doing well in Quebec, but his numbers, of course, have come down from the Soviet-like numbers that uh, that we saw during the pandemic. Uh, but for for Daniel Smith, I think you know this is very early in their new mandate. Uh, she has time to correct the course. She she could, she could forge her own uh, UCP identity from now, and uh, I'm looking forward to see how it goes. That that was a very strange election campaign, especially I guess from outside the the, uh, the, the province uh but uh, what do you Madame what Smith do you mean by that let's where. let's dig into that a little bit well I, I read a lot of alberta news and listened to a lot of alberta podcasts and the, the stuff that you i mean it it for a while it sounded a lot like american politics mm -hmm. uh i don't want to you know this of course alberta but it, it was a two-party system very divided uh the, the we we knew that those sides really don't like each other. There's a huge urban rural divide. I don't have to tell you this. You saw the numbers, you saw the maps. Uh, and so, uh, you know, this was a unique election. We don't have two party races in the rest of Canada. Uh, this was it. I think the UCP and the NDP together had what 97% of the vote or 96% of the vote. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, this is going to be very interesting going forward because right now the next election, of course, should be in 2027. Uh, the NDP, you know, they're gaining strength in the cities and the cities are growing faster than the regions of Alberta. So the next Alberta map will be more advantageous to the NDP. Uh, you know, Alberta just became a very interesting province uh, politically, or not politically, but electorally, should I say, uh, because, uh, you know, you know <laughs> it was a monopoly uh, for, for, uh, for, for many decades. So. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, so, so Premier Smith, uh, with an approval rating of, of 45%, we also want to point out, Philippe, that we got to look at political approval ratings a little bit differently than, you know, as, as students or parents, we might look at report cards. Like, let's say, for example, Scott Moe, Based on these numbers, the most popular premier in Canada in the month of June, still just 57% approval. If you bring home a report card with a bunch of 57%, <laughs> depending on the household, your parents might not be thrilled. But in politics, 
flirting with 60% is pretty darn good, right? It's it's amazingly yeah. good. Even I would say even high 30s is pretty good. High you 30s? Saw the last one. Yeah, high 30s is enough to win an election in Canada usually. Yeesh. And if you look at that list, who's in last place? It's Ms. Stephenson with 25%. And the latest polls that we had out of Manitoba, as you know, there's an election coming in October in Manitoba. It's a, This election is a toss-up. Uh, the NDP in Manitoba is leading in, in Winnipeg, but it's trading badly in the regions of, of uh, Manitoba. And it could be a toss up, even though the premier is the least popular premier in the country. So if, if you're a politician right now, when you're in the mid to high 30s, uh, usually it's good enough to win an election. This uh, this is such our electoral system. That's how it works. So yeah, uh, for better or for worse. For better or for worse. Uh, Premier Higgs, I, th- I think that, you know, New Brunswick, the Maritimes don't always get a lot of attention. Fair to say? They don't always get a lot of national attention. I mean, it's, it's, well, yeah, they, they did in the last few months. Uh, New Brunswick did. But, well, uh, yeah, yes, and, yeah. And, and that's what I want to get into with you, right? We're talking about parents' rights and education. We're we're talking about legislation. Are we on the same page here, Philippe? Is this what yeah. you're talking about? Um, maybe you can tee that story up for us. Uh, this is, uh, I think, a story where conservatives have, uh, you know, I mean, ardent conservatives uh, have, have yeah. been impressed with the steps that that conservative government has taken uh, with regards to preserving or restoring parents' rights in education. They want parents notified, essentially, um, if young students under the age of 16 are making any amendments or changes to their name or or to their gender representation, to pronouns in schools. Um, I'm probably missing some important points here, but that's the gist of it. That's the Coles notes here. Uh, It's earned him favor with the party loyalists, but generally speaking, you think it's hurting his numbers, the 28% approval? Oh, absolutely. And it's very dangerous for any government to thread that water because these are very emotional issues. Yeah. And even though the, the usually the base of your party will like when you go into a culture war, uh, when you go into a culture war or when you change a subject, uh, your uh, education system is failing or your uh, health system is is having problems. Well, let's change the subject and talk about uh, transgender kids in schools because this is far more emotional. And you know, any government of any color, sometimes they do this, they change the subject. Uh, but Mr. Higgs is uh, is playing with fire here, and uh, I uh, I would not be surprised. We have an election in New Brunswick next year. Uh, we'll see how those numbers go. But he's uh, he's banking on keeping that thirty five percent that voted for him last time. Dennis on our live chat says, "How the heck is Scott Moe so popular? What is it about <laughs> Saskatchewan's premier that has him almost all the time at the top of the list?" Well, it's the new one-party province. Uh, I, I, I have to say we do not have much data out of Saskatchewan for many reasons. It's 1.3 million people, so it's a smaller province. And also, since the, the, the Saskatchewan party is leading by so much over the competition, the NDP, uh, we have very few polls there. But M- Mr. Mo, I, I, you know, he, he has a way of speaking to his constituents and uh you know he won the election very easily uh two years ago uh three years ago should i say uh and of course he's the favorite to win next year so uh as long as the ndp in saskatchewan and other places in the country keep their focus on the urban folks only um they will have trouble uh winning elections uh you know the ndp in alberta we could talk about that too yes they won both cities but had they won just a few more seats in the regions of alberta this election could have been you know a 42 45 seat and then suddenly it's highly unstable yeah. uh the the ndp did not win anything in the, in the edmonton donut and you know they finished with 39 seats had they won three four more 
you would have uh, an unstable government and maybe the NDP would see an opening eventually. So it, I guess it's the same thing in uh, in Saskatchewan, but of course the cities are much smaller with respect to the uh, population of the province. Before we get to David Coletto's numbers, Abacus uh, data's look at the federal vote intention. Uh, we don't have time, obviously, to go through all the provinces and territories, but what's <laughs> one other? What's one other storyline or what's one other number that kind of jumps out at you? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Houston pulling at 55 in November. Nova Scotia, awesome. Obviously, as you said, a bit of a dip uh, for Francois Legault in Quebec. Um, there's David Eby in BC, relatively new premier-ish, uh, with 45% yeah. approval, kind of kind of neck and neck with Alberta's premier, Danielle Smith. What, what's one of the stories that's really jumping out at you? We could do a whole show on British Columbia right now, mm-hmm. and the fact that the uh, former uh, BC Liberals seem to have completely failed their new branding. Uh, they, they, they they had poor results in a by-election. And in the polling that we see right now, they're in the high 20s. And whereas the NDP is in the high 40s and they appear to be cruising to next year to a re-election. So this is one of the stories that I will be looking in the next year. Mr. Ibi seems to be in good shape for next year. Uh, but aside from that, if we go to the federal numbers, Ryan, uh, I've seen some very contradicting uh, opinions online uh, regarding the polls. And I'd like to say something because, yes, the, the, if we look at the latest polls, the federal polls, we see CPC plus five, plus seven, plus six, plus eight. I'm looking at the list right now. But you have to look at the regional numbers because the conservatives <laughs> seem to be leading nationally right now. But when you break it down by regions, you see that they're doing relatively okay in the Maritimes, although the Liberals are are, are still leading. Uh, the CPC is nowhere to be seen in Quebec. And uh, in the latest Abacus data poll, we see that the Liberals are leading by three in Ontario. And so that means that the, uh, the, the Conservatives are running up the score where they don't need it. Once again, we heard this before in 2019, in 2021. Uh, so it, it, may, it may be very good for fi- public financing for the, 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 those polls, maybe for publicity, get you many clicks. But when you break it down in our region right now, if a, fo- a vote was being held and those numbers held, uh, it would be a reduced minority for the Liberals. Justin Trudeau would still be prime minister. Uh, so Pierre Poilievre, for as good a campaign he had during his uh, the, the leadership campaign, uh, has not been able to grow the conservative coalition. Uh, I'm not saying he won't ever do that, but in his first year as a conservative leader, he has not grown the conservative coalition. But this so, has been you, you could you could just swap out Pierre Polyov's name and swap in Aaron O'Toole and Andrew Shear at Candace Bergen. Right. I mean, isn't hasn't this kind of been the story for the federal conservatives ever since Stephen Harper left? Not left. I mean, he lost an election to Justin yeah. Trudeau, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you're right. It's, it's just that at some point, the, you know, the liberal government is in its eight years, soon to be ninth year. Uh, Justin Trudeau's num- personal numbers have dipped. Uh, government unsatisfaction satisfaction is high. We've had stories about Chinese interference. And yet those two parties are almost tied. And so the, the, the conservatives should be in a position right now to take down the liberals. And right now we see that maybe they could squeak out a very short minority. And then what would they do? Would they do a coalition with the Bloc Québécois? That's not happening. Yves-François Blanchet is not in the business of making Ottawa work correctly, especially in the conservatives who are at 16 or 15 percent in Quebec. So he's not going to do that. The NDP is it? The NDP is going to support the conservatives? No way. So and there's no grand, grosse coalition like in Germany. The liberals or conservatives are not going to work together. Uh, So 
this is going to be a very interesting, interesting fall because right now, yes, the conservatives have good polls, but when you break it down by region, it's it's not that good, and uh, they're not leading by that much. So uh, it's it's still within the margin of error of the last two elections. Philippe, do you think in closing, if Pierre Polyev worked on being a little less of a prick and a little more likable, do you think he'd be a shoe in as Canada's next prime minister? Well. He would have to pivot, but it's it's possible that with a moderate leader, yes, the conservative would be leading. Of course, it's politics fiction now. We don't know this for sure. Uh, it's just that, for instance, if you took the, the by-elections in late June that we saw, that campaign in southern Manitoba, that, that all these efforts that they made to beat Maxime Bernier will leave some trace. Because they gave, it was a goldmine for future liberal campaign. All those messages about the World Economic Forum and those messages of, oh, you see Maxime Bernier here at a pride parade? Can you believe he did that? So th this is going to better resonate. And Pouyev has to win some seats in urban and suburban Canada to win the next election. I'm not sure that so far in the first year of his leadership, he's, he's, he's achieved that. Philippe Fournier is a political columnist for Politico, L'Actualité magazine, as well as a regular contributor for CTV in his home city of Montreal, uh, Radio Canada, and of course, right here on Real Talk. You can check out his work at 338canada.com. That's also his handle on Twitter. We encourage you to give him a follow. Let him know how much you appreciate him taking time to talk to us, especially on vacation. We had multiple audience members in our YouTube live chat saying, you look great, Philippe, but feel free to lose the jacket. <laughs> thank you very much i'm going back on vacation right now take Atta care boy. we'll talk to you again soon love talking to philippe and the way that he breaks through data makes it understandable uh for the rest of us that's great stuff uh, you can always uh, let us know how you feel about uh, the interviews that you see you can leave us a comment on our youtube episodes of course you can tweet at us using our hashtag real talk rj or you can send us an email using the connect link on our website we're going to get to meteorologist chris gloniger in just a second but i wanted to let you know that these conversations don't happen without amazing partners like the family-owned business that is grand dog essentials quality raw food for the month of july i want to let you know that you can enjoy ten dollars off all of their raw pork pet food those 40 pound boxes these are the ones that we order they're delivered to our door every month it's so convenient you just need to use the discount code july 2023 at checkout that's granddog.ca of course this is a, a blend of whole alberta pork why do i say the word whole why is that relevant well uh, they include the organs the bone this is sourced from human grade facilities so the meat is excellent for everybody but of course because it's custom made for dogs they're including all the good stuff to make sure that the blend uses the highest variety of organs in a raw pet food blend this is the highest quality raw pet food in all of alberta Period, providing your pets with the most nutrition available from fresh food sources. Now, you can place your order all the way through till the end of the month, July 31st. Again, it's $10 off raw pork 40-pound boxes using the promo code JULY2023 at granddog.ca. Kubi Renewable Energy is hiring, and they want us to let you know about it. If you'd love to work in Alberta or BC, they've got a beautiful office in Kamloops, BC, and of course, proudly headquartered out of Edmonton, you're going to want to visit kubienergy.ca today. If you're a journeyman, perfect. You got your ticket? Great. They're calling all the electricians. But if you're an apprentice as well, they'd love to talk to you. 
If you want to work for a company that provides investment matching, that puts on Friday ball hockey tournaments, that has cold beer on tap, a company that's going to invest in your education and your career by offering you training, things like safety and equipment courses, trade school, engineering seminars, even post-secondary degrees, they're supporting their team members because they know the value of putting together a team that sticks together, delivering the best solar installs in Western Canada. Just ask customers like Sean, whose testimonial is unbelievable, says all the employees I interacted with on email, phone, and in person, professional, and treated me and my property with respect. That's the Kubi Energy difference. You can find them online at kubienergy.ca. And before we get to our next interview, wanted to remind you that Friesen Brothers is proudly still family-owned and operating in 16 different Alberta communities. And their newest masterpiece from the Friesen Brothers Mother Dough Bread Company Bakers, handcrafted pies. That's right, baked fresh daily with 100% real fruit, 100% Alberta flour for 100% deliciousness. You can find more information online at Friesen.com slash pies. That's F-R-E-S-O-N dot com slash pies. And don't forget, August 1st, your next chance to knock 15% off your grocery order of $75 or more. That's the first of every month at Friesen Brothers. Well, I'm really looking forward to this next conversation. This is uh, an individual that, that may not necessarily be a familiar name to all of you, but that's just because we're up here in Canada and he's been plying his craft down in the United States. As a meteorologist, he's worked in some of the biggest markets like Boston. He's currently employed for about 24 more hours as the chief meteorologist in Des Moines, Iowa. That's where Chris Gloninger launched the country's first weekly series on climate change. But he's walking away from it, and he's here to tell us why. First, let's get a sense of what we're talking about. Here's a peek into the work of Chris Gloninger. The effects of climate change are hitting communities across the globe, some faster than others. For people of color uh, in particular, climate change is personal. For many of these communities, they're experiencing these harms right here, right now. Now is the time everyone needs to come to the table. For a long time, the climate justice movement was not representative. It was not inclusive of the communities that actually disproportionately bear the brunt of these injustices. We'll continue to put band-aids on if we if we fail to address the system. The, the systemic nature of it. Can it be done? How? Boston has set very uh, aggressive goals, both for responding to climate change in terms of uh, sea level rise and flooding, and the city has committed to become carbon neutral by 2050. Welcome to The Climate Project. I'm meteorologist Chris Gloninger on the First Alert weather team. I've been covering climate change for 15 years, and in doing so, I've come to realize that there are some communities that are affected by it more than others. Before we get to that, though, let's start talking about the problem that is climate change. Our climate. That is Chris Gloninger in action, and we're pleased more than pleased to welcome him here to Real Talk. Chris, I don't know if this is you making your Canadian talk show debut. Is it by chance? 
It's funny, Ryan. So my friend is the chief meteorologist uh, in Newfoundland in St. John. So he has not had me on the show, though. So this is the first. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I'm glad that we get to have those bragging rights. And it's a real honor to have you here. Um, Chris, we're, we're going to get into, you know, the serious stuff. I mean, you're, you know, you're uh, essentially walking away from a career, a, a storied and celebrated uh, career of, of, of 18 years, almost 20 years uh, for some pretty significant reasons. But, but why don't we first get to to know you a little bit what drew you to meteorology what drew you into broadcasting did you always dream of doing this i did since second grade hurricane bob back in 1991 i was in second grade going into the second grade and i was fascinated by the wind the water and then after the storm all the sailboats that had washed up on our main street and the beaches surrounding our downtown I was fascinated that Mother Nature could pack such a punch, and it was after that I continued that dream, that passion, through elementary school, through high school, and uh, made my way through college, got my undergraduate degree in meteorology, and started in broadcast shortly thereafter, going all over the United States, from upstate New York to Boston to the Great Lakes, now uh, here in Des Moines as chief meteorologist for another uh, day and a half. Yeah, for another day and a half. I mean, you you, you wrap it up this week, and uh, let, let's get to the tweet. This is the one that caught our attention. I'm grateful you responded to my inquiry, by the way. Uh, you told your followers, you told your fans, 18 years, seven stations, five states. I'm bidding farewell to TV to embark on a new journey dedicated to helping solve the climate crisis. And, and Chris, we'll obviously get to that. You say, after a death threat stemming from my climate coverage last year and resulting PTSD, I've decided to begin this journey now. Can you talk to us about this? Yeah, it was um, a year into my tenure into Des Moines, and the station hired me uh, because of my climate work that I did in Boston. I think you mentioned I started the country's first weekly series on climate change in the United States, um, and it was something that I quickly became passionate about. I was covering some of these major storms for NBC, um, and for the network, I was on the ground for many of the big storms between 2016, 2017, 2018. I was there covering Hurricane Harvey and Irma. And then I came back saying we need to do more. And that's how the, the coverage started. But I came to Iowa to talk about climate change in a part of the country that it really wasn't being talked about. It was being left out of the conversation. So I got some pushback, but it hit a peak when I received that death threat. And it was more than just a, I'll kill you. It was a drawn out um, kind of threatening email with, with how the person would carry it out. I was home at the time. My wife was out running errands. I made sure that she was okay. I called her, got her home. While I was paralyzed, I couldn't really walk or move. My mind was racing about all these possibilities. And it just launched what was a pretty stressful year. I had been a firefighter in college. I've been through some stressful times during that as well. But this was an, an element or a level of anxiety that I had never experienced before. And I asked myself, should I be getting help? And I think when somebody has that question in their head, do I need to get help? Chances are you need to see a therapist. And I made that decision. And for the last year, I've been going every week to a therapist to work on uh, the symptoms associated with PTSD. Well, 
first of all, can I say I think it's amazing, uh, number one, that you, you recognized you could use mental health supports, number two, that you sought out those supports, and number three, that you're talking about them. And uh, for a popular television personality like yourself to use phrases or use the word, say the word PTSD, talk about mental health is a huge deal. Was that something that you struggled with or did that part of it come easy? The, the whole kind of like hard on the sleeve part of what you do. Yeah. You know, I, as a first former first responder, I like to help people. And I thought if I could share my story, I could help other people. And I, it isn't just me. And in all of this, it's other journalists, it's scientists, and it's this war on information and data. And it's a war that is being fought against uh, ideology and beliefs and people believing that those beliefs are more powerful than data and facts and science. And we've kind of entered into this dangerous territory since 2016. And I wanted to tell people that they're not alone. If they're feeling these thoughts and don't feel comfort, uh, comfortable in talking about them, I wanted to be their mouthpiece. I wanted to, to be able to say, look, it's okay to realize your need for help. And I encourage you to get help. Because as I said, if you're questioning if you need it, Chances are you do. Yeah. Uh, Chris, the, the, the death threat, I, I mean, these, these are one of those things where, um, you know, I, I don't know if like the, the average person in the public eye would say, oh, yeah, I've got my own death threat and they've got their own story and there's varying degrees. And I, I don't think that there's a lot, a lot of benefit to sitting and comparing them. But, but let me put it this way. Uh, the, the potential uh, price you may pay for not taking a death threat seriously uh, could be permanent. If you know what I'm saying and the abuse that uh, TV and radio hosts, that journalists, that reporters have faced, uh, you mentioned 2016. I mean, obviously, we're talking about the election of Donald Trump and, and how the dynamic changed, not just in the United States, but around the world. We've seen this ramp up. We've seen the temperature turned way up. Uh, you've been in broadcasting for nearly 20 years. W was that all a first for you? I mean, if, if you go back to the early days in upstate New York, the Great Lakes, and everywhere else that you were stationed, uh, how different was it uh, temperature-wise between the broadcaster and the audience than it is now? I think you always had pushback. And, and when you are in a role that is under the spotlight – you're getting people writing in saying, oh, I don't like the outfit you're wearing. Your hair looks stupid. Your makeup looks good. That I think we're used to it in doing this, or we don't like the way you sound. Um, and when we break into programming for severe weather and we're covering up your favorite evening shows, people aren't happy about that. And they tell us what they think. And I, that comes with the territory. We grow a thick skin. But what happened in 2016 is when we saw the of people felt emboldened and able to share their beliefs um, and, and even if it wasn't based on fact, even if it wasn't based on um, any data or science, they felt like they could. Scary. Uh, do you, uh, like with people, people may wonder sort of what happened, uh, with this death threat. My understanding is that there, there, there wasn't, there were charges laid, correct? And, and a 63 year old Iowa man pleaded guilty, uh, thir to third degree harassment. Um, are you, are you confident that, that this was handled in, in the way that it needs to be handled? Or are you at peace in a sense with that element of this story? 
I honestly, w- that it, a lot of these feelings and emotions have come back up. And with Bridge, his this gentleman's name has been back in the news, and it, it's making us relive those 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 moments. And I think until we leave, until we can extricate ourselves from this situation, it's something that we really won't feel at peace with until we're we're gone. And you know, it, it's it's difficult to have to kind of process this and, and, and relive some of these emotions. But I think we're in scary times in that you don't know when somebody is willing to take a stand on something that they believe, even if it is against all facts and logic, if it goes against their beliefs and they're willing to take a stand, that's my greatest concern. Uh, we don't know how far they're willing to take it. Yeah, it's a $150 fine here, which is kind of remarkable. Police uh, took it seriously, but maybe the state doesn't or needs to reevaluate how they treat death threats. I, I also want to say that uh, when it comes to the role that I was in, as chief meteorologist in the biggest city of this state, it's a high profile job in a market that has a lot of severe weather. And and it's not lost on me that not a single politician on a certain side of the aisle never reached out, never, um, never came out and spoke up against those comments. And silence is deafening. We all know that saying. And in this case, it certainly is true. Uh, let's not let anybody off the hook here. Uh, and it's kind of sad that I can just assume who you're talking about. Are you talking about the Republicans? Is that what we're saying on a certain side of the aisle? Let's let's get to it. Yeah, I mean, in this country, I mean, there's there's radical. Uh, there are many politicians, not just in the United States, that have become so radicalized since the 2016 election and former President Trump. Again, this was part of society that you know felt ashamed to be able to 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 say their feelings and beliefs. And they should have been kept quiet, right? I mean, if you are filled with hate um, and animosity towards somebody, those feelings should not be spread about. But I think that that was emboldened. People felt entitled to do that. And on a state level, it's very similar leadership that falls in line with what happened in our country as a whole in the United States back in 2016. Uh, the current leadership is is leadership that was um, got that s- s- stamp of approval by the the Trump administration back when when they came into office. Uh, Chris, you know you've posted some of the correspondence here, and, and and we'll read one. This is like the gentlest one, uh, just to let people know <laughs> this is this is almost just like copy paste from anything that that any broadcaster might get in north america not to take away from your experience i'm just saying these voices have become louder and louder you got an email uh june 21st uh summer equinox isn't that i think uh summer solstice of of last year uh you know getting sick and tired of your liberal conspiracy theory on the weather climate changes every day always have has always will you're pushing nothing but a Biden, by the way, why can these people never get the correct spelling of your there's your and your anyway, anyway, I, I digress. You're pushing nothing but a Biden hoax. Go back to where you came from. That That's like about the gentlest, most tepid, shallow end of the pool type one that we're going to read here. But you, you faced a barrage of these. And then, like you said, a detailed uh, death threat folks that 
I don't know, worry about the future of planet Earth, that worry about their grandkids' grandkids might go, no, Cloninger's one of the good guys. We need voices <laughs> like Chris Cloninger doing weekly series and features on the impact of climate change. We need these voices. So let's talk about what you're doing next. I'm excited about it. And I, I don't want people to, to think that I'm giving up. And I don't want my colleagues who are doing this important work to stop connecting the dots. And I never intended this to be, hey, this is what you could get if you talk about it. No, I, I want people to be stronger, bigger and better than that. Uh, but I felt like after all of this, I needed to step back after 20 years. I needed to focus on my family, my life. My parents are in good, in good health. Same with my in-laws. I wanted to focus on my, my wife and our relationship. And I also wanted to have a hands-on role and do climate 24 hours a day uh, as my main job. And I'm able to do that now going forward. I'll be starting at the Woods Hole Group. And it kind of branched off in the 1980s from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. And a group of oceanographers, coastal engineers thought that we could work with communities and, and build uh, resilience. And that has kind of developed into uh, working with towns, municipalities on preparing for climate change, building resilience, finding ways to mitigate and adapt to climate change. Everyone's going to want to live next to the water or whether that be an inland lake, a river or the ocean. Oceans are rising. Rivers are prone to more flooding. But how do we coexist naturally? Uh, with water. Uh, those are some of the questions I'll be working on, putting my science hat on, looking at data, doing data analysis, but also communicating. Spending 18 years as a scientist that communicates is a skill set that is going to be transferable and will work uh, in, in, a, in a, I think, a pretty prominent role in helping communities understand their challenges and needs and work with the other engineers to kind of develop those plans to help protect them and make sure that they're around in 2050, 2070, 2100, all these big benchmarks. You know, and I, and I, I kind of, I hate saying I'm kind of laughing at the fact that my last days end up being the warmest days on earth. Huh. I mean, and, and if you look at the top five warmest days, they've all happened since 2016. And, and some of that does have to do with the bigger global pattern of El Nino and, and the warm ocean waters in the Pacific. But we are dealing with a climate crisis. And five of those top 10 years have happened since 2016. And by five tenths of a degree and on a global scale, that is a significant number that we broke that record by. Um, and I, I'm leaving on what will be one of the hottest days uh, in 125,000 years. And we know that through ice cores. We know that through ocean sediment. We were able to take that data uh, and, and analyze it and, and get a good understanding of what the atmosphere was like back over 100,000 years ago, which is remarkable. But it's also pretty scary and that we're now reaching those levels. And uh, it should be sounding the alarm bells to everyone. Hmm. Well, you know, I don't have to tell you that a, a recent study released by Yale, a group of scientists studying climate change there, uh, acknowledged that three out of four Americans agree uh, that climate change is happening and that there's human impact. And I think it's worth reiterating, even in friendly interviews like this, it's worth reiterating the majority believes the science. 
The majority believes the science. Let's continue to repeat that and remind ourselves that that's a fact. You know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the city of Calgary. It's it's about three hours south of us here in Edmonton. They're about to host the Calgary Stampede. You know, millions mm-hmm. of people are going to visit that city. Uh, and uh, we talked to Calgary's mayor yesterday. She was on our show about a year and a half ago when she was first elected. The morning after, I said, what's your first order of business? This is an oil and gas center. This is Canada's energy capital, Chris. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, billions of dollars of commerce happened with the energy sector through the office towers of Calgary. And when we asked her a year and a half ago, what's your first order of business? She said, I'm going to declare a climate emergency and people blew a gasket. I mean, other people erupted in applause, but a lot of people were really upset. We followed up on it in our interview yesterday and, and people can listen to it wherever they get their podcasts, obviously. And and we said so reflecting back, looking back a year and a half. She says, you know what? She says 60 percent of the tech companies We talk about energy diversification. We talk about everything else, economic diversification, the intersection of the environment and the economy, all of these things. Uh, I'm sure even your colleagues that work in business reporting talk about this kind of stuff, let alone you. She said 60% of the tech companies that have come to Calgary since she was elected mayor are here to help oil and gas companies in that energy transition. In other words, it's been a boost for the economy to see a civic leader take the environment seriously. And I think that that's a really great news story. If I can also wax for a second here, let me say uh, you and I both, I'm sure, have had a lot of colleagues that have lost their jobs in broadcasting over the last while. It's been a tough slog for this industry as monetization changes and everybody's trying to figure out the best way to continue to keep those platforms alive. You're leaving on your own terms and you're going somewhere that seems to me to be a perfect fit for your skill set and i would argue uh, with having just known you now for 20 minutes chris that you're probably going to make an even bigger impact with the new work that you're going to be doing for the woods hole group it it, it strikes me as a great opportunity i think it is and you know to your point there's going to be pushback and and people don't like change always right people are scared of change oftentimes and a lot of the misinformation that's put out there by people you know, it's poorly photoshopped graphs or charts that, you know, if you look at it a little bit closer, those like the Photoshop job is, is really poorly done. But you can Google anything you want and try to find the answer that you are looking for. And if you are dismissive of climate science, you can find the one or two people who, if you connect the dots, are probably funded by, um, you know, someone that's a little bit questionable. But th- those aren't the experts. To your point again, you know, 99.958% of the peer-reviewed published documents all support anthropogenic or man-made climate change. So at the end of the day, it's science, it's facts, and it's all based on data that goes back tens of thousands and with the ice cores, hundreds of thousands of years. Well, and can we also point out that, you know, much like the law of gravity, whether or not you believe it, it's relevant. Like the floods are going to continue. The fires are going to continue. The polar ice caps are going to continue to recede. We will continue to see the impact of climate change. I speak like this. I mean, I spell it out like this because I believe uh, that at some point, my seven-year-old son and my one-year-old son are going to maybe watch some of the shows that their dad did back in the day. Uh, Wyatt and Noah, I'm sorry about all the F-bombs. But other than that, I want them to see that their dad was on the record believing the science, you know? And so I don't care if somebody believes the science or not. That doesn't make the science any less relevant. Absolutely. I I mean, 
um, <laughs> I, I, uh, the, the, the CNN, which is one of our national channels here, which I know that they're, they have a global presence, did this uh, advertising campaign back in that 2016, 2020 era. And it was a picture, it was a simple ad and it was great. And it sums up your argument quite well. It's a picture of an apple and it said, this is an apple. If you call it an orange and keep calling it an orange, at the end of the day, it's still an apple. It's not going to become an orange. You can call it whatever you want, but at the end of the day, it's still climate change and it's not gonna go away and it's not not happening because you don't wanna think or believe that it's not happening. Just people need to grow up. People need to have a spine and, 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 and get uncomfortable about the conversation and talk about climate change and not be scared uh, that oh, I, I can't, I don't have the, 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 the means to, to or the, the mental means to think about it because it's here. We're already seeing it. Chris, in closing, have you thought about, uh, as mentioned, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be wrapping up uh, this stage of your career at KCCI in Des Moines, Iowa uh, at the end of this week, at the end of this broadcast week. Do you have some final words planned? Have you thought about your sign-off or are you just going to let it flow? I think just let it flow. Uh, there's going to be a lot of emotions that hit us when we're driving tomorrow evening to Massachusetts. I mean, to hang up an 18 year career, as you very well know, in this industry is is an eternity. Um, it, it will hit me at some point. We're kind of living on uh, adrenaline, the anticipation, the excitement, the putting the behind us of, of the threat. Look, we made tremendous friends here. Uh, you know, people that you know are closer than some family that we have uh, there are great people here they responded in with emails up to about 300 of them all positive and happy with the job we're doing so it's important to know it's the silent major a silent uh, it's the loud majority or the sorry the loud minority yeah. that are writing in and I don't want people to get a bad taste in their mouth because that is not representative of all Iowans. Our, our time here has been very positive in many ways, but until we can really remove ourselves from the situation, I don't think that those emotions will hit us until we're out of this environment where, you know, we're having to watch over our, our, our you know, watch behind us to see what's happening and going on. Um, but with my going away message, you know, I want people to keep having that conversation just because I'm gone doesn't mean the conversation has to stop. I just want it to be starting. And I hope that I got the ball rolling in a part of the United States where it hasn't been discussed or talked about in regular conversation. We often uh, talk about and, and remind our audience. I don't think our audience needs reminding. We got a savvy, engaged audience here. We're really proud and we're honored uh, to gather with them every day in fellowship, as we say. But this audience understands the value of conversations that make us uncomfortable. And good on you for reporting uh, fiercely. Uh, and bravely in a jurisdiction where it's not easy. Heck, we talk about progressive politics in Alberta. I'm not sure how much you know about Alberta, but we get our fair share of blowback. But we're confident that we're talking about issues that matter to people, and we're going to keep doing it so long as the audience keeps showing up. Uh, one of those audience members in our live chat right now is Lauren. I happen to know he's a retired fire chief, and he says that, Chris, 
he has no doubt you will make a difference and he wants to wish you all the best with your PTSD. If anybody can understand the value of investing in your mental health, it's first responders and former first responders like yourself. Chris, we wish you all the best. It means a lot that you made time for us. I know that a lot of people want to talk to you. I saw you did an interview with NPR. Uh, Really cool (laughs) to have you here on Real Talk out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We've been hanging out with Chris Gloninger uh, for two more days, the chief meteorologist at KCCI 8 in Des Moines. Be well, Chris. Brian, thank you. And thanks for what you guys are doing. Such an important part of the country, a part of the world that are hearing your message and, and it's invaluable. Yeah, you bet. There you go. Chris Kloninger from Des Moines, Iowa. That's a powerful conversation. It was great. Yeah. yeah. A guy walking away on his own terms, not necessarily. I mean, it is on his own terms, but prompted by something that you wouldn't wish on anyone. No. But paying attention to what's best for him what's best for his family, yeah. and at the same time being able to find a way to continue the really important work that he's doing. I well, love that. It's great to see people standing up for something. I like how you said it too. I, I want to be on the record as well. I want, I want there to be you know, footage in the archives when this all goes to hell, and it's already starting, the slow, slippery slope we're on. When this all goes to hell, you want to be on the right side of it. So guys like him standing up and doing what's right, I, I love it. Yeah, I uh, love this from Here's Tony. that ad, by the way. I think he meant banana, but here's that CNN ad. Oh, yeah, look at that, about. right? Yeah, some people might try to tell you that it's a banana. Facts yeah. first, that CNN <laughs> tweet from October 23rd, 2017. Um, you can let us know what you thought about that interview, but more so what we'd love uh, for you to do with this and any other interview is to share it with somebody that you know might benefit from it, somebody that, that might be inspired by that conversation or, or somebody that, that might be challenged to think outside of maybe the parameters of where they typically land on issues like climate change or, or for that matter, on issues of mental health or the health of journalism or the relationship between journalists and the public, scientists and the public. I was reading through some of the hate mail that he's received. He's posted a whole bunch of tweets. You can you can find him online at Chris Gloninger and, and follow him there. His uh, information will be in the show notes. Um, but I mean, I mean, the, the references, the number of references to Dr. Anthony Fauci in the U.S. I mean, are just off the charts, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it's just it, we get references to Anthony Fauci in some of the emails we get. I mean, you should see our email inbox. We always read you the. I mean, sometimes we'll read the, the you know ones that sort of allow us to paint a bit of a picture of where some people are landing on this, but the ones that we don't read are are the real doozies. Uh, But I wanted to mention (laughs) something, and and this is, uh, I believe, an improvement or at least a step we've taken to the next level on our YouTube channel. A lot of you have communicated with us and let us know that you'd love to be able to share more than just our full episodes. So, you know, you go to our YouTube channel, Real Talk Ryan Jesperson, you can subscribe. We sure thank you for that. And you can find our full episodes like yesterday's Downtown Turnaround or The Sunshine List the day before or the day before that, those that are doctors demanding an apology from Premier Danielle Smith to Dr. Dina Hinshaw. But then we've got below that our shorts, which are just 60 second or less uh, highlights of some of the conversations we've had on the show. Some of them are are a little more silly, like, do you feed chickens chicken? Uh, we learned that the answer is no. Somebody let us know that's how you can create horrific diseases. And, and so it didn't hit as well as the cocaine in the White House. It didn't hit as well as the cocaine in the White House short, which had a few thousand views in its first day. But our YouTube shorts are there. And then the highlights. Uh, we're taking some of our best interviews and we're cutting them down to, you know, four to 10 minutes, bite sized chunks of those interviews so you can go ahead and share them with your friends. The best bits. The best bits yeah. of Real Talk. You'll also find all of our trash talk 
cut downs yeah. on our YouTube channel we're as really well. Thanks to everybody to, that shares them. We're trying to we're trying to up our game in the YouTube sphere. Today yeah. today the super chats are not showing up. I think I'm gonna have to install like a dock in our OBS system so I make sure that it's seen. This is our so, broadcast software. Yeah. yeah. So we did get a super chat during that interview, so I will read it because we normally it would be on the screen. We're still figuring it out. Can you but, let us know what a super chat is for people that aren't familiar it's with it? It's basically if you want your comment to be highlighted and basically, you know, sometimes it's pinned, but this one's highlighted out of the chat, so it's more eye grabbing. But eventually we want those to be able to go right on the screen so that when we have guests that they could see them. But I'm gonna have to install the doc into OBS because even okay, we'll if, get it figured out. Even if you sometimes see it on YouTube, we want to see them too, right? So if so, someone makes like a small uh, donation or a financial contribution yeah, to the show. We're not asking for your money, but if, if we're in a heat. No, I am. I'm asking for your money. <laughs> if we're in a heated conversation and sometimes you can only read three comments, but we've got 50 and we want to see them all, we can we can throw them up on the screen. Maybe the guests will even see them in response. So today, uh, during that interview, Noob Try Again, who signed off as Bry Guy, said kudos to publicly acknowledging your mental health struggle. Everyone should have a psychologist as a regular part of healthy life. I totally agree. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I think it's great. We need to normalize counseling. I meet with a counselor. I speak with a counselor. Friends that are close to me speak with counselors. There is, I, I think that some people believe that, that everything has to be going completely sideways for you to speak with a counselor. And if things yeah. are going completely sideways, you should. Oh, you're but seeing a therapist? But it's also part of just a... Yeah, you're seeing oh. a therapist. Oh, my goodness. That's like saying to somebody... It should be like, oh, you're seeing oh, you're, a therapist? Amazing. Yeah. Oh, you're brushing your teeth? Why you're so... You know, why? Do you have cavities? <laughs> and it is no, like I'm that, No, I'm trying to though. prevent cavities. We put it off and we're scared. It's like people who don't want to go to the dentist or, or don't want to get their, their checkup. Their annual the physical. 45 or 50. Yeah. You got to go. You got to check in with someone and you got to tell them things because you're, you're, you're trying to navigate this world and think of things and then you tell it to a professional and they're like... They ask a few questions, and all of a sudden you understand it better, and you can let go of that baggage. You can get it off your back, and you can be happier and healthier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I love this comment here. Uh, Shalane says, thank you so much for the shorts and the highlights. Uh, Shalane says, it's making sharing real talk so much easier. Shalane, that is music to our ears. That's what we did it uh, for. Sharon says that she's really enjoying the shorts as well. And I love this comment from Tracy who says, keep in mind, everybody, uh, is this true? She says over 50% of working age individuals in North America will be looking to change jobs this year. 50%? What? Really? Uh, she says most will be looking for meaningful work. We should get, we, we've got some workplace experts that have, I think of Julie Bauke that's joined us on the show before. Mm -hmm. uh, we should get her back. I think that that's great. We always love to know where, where trends are going in the workplace and, and what people are looking for, you know, in, in the context of how they find fulfillment at work or, or how they're navigating some of the your waters in the workplace and of course that's ever changing i've seen some really interesting data lately on on the different you know gen z versus millennials and who's feeling the most threatened by ai in the workplace uh, and the answer quite frankly is that gen z uh, the youngest in the workplace right now generally speaking uh, they're feeling the most threatened by ai they're feeling the most like like in other words like the most jobs the most of their jobs will be taken by AI. Now, that's not necessarily the case, right? It's, it's, it's like we look at any other technology over the years and how it's uh, implemented or infused itself into industry. And sure, some jobs have been eliminated, but many others have been created. And I think that that's a great focus as well. So, so let me just say, Tracy and others, we'll have that on our working list of stories that we're paying attention to and, of course, guests that we'll be reaching out to. Sometimes we're reaching out to guests to be on tomorrow's show, and sometimes we're talking to them 
you know, six or eight weeks from now. Uh, I'll be letting you know who's on the show with us tomorrow in just a second. But first, if you're anywhere near where we are and you're experiencing some of these summer temperatures, can I remind you about the July blizzard treat of the month at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? It's the cake batter cookie dough blizzard treat. Yeah, commemorate wins big and small this July with DQ's soft serve mixed with cake batter flavor. Now you're speaking my language. This is confetti cookie dough pieces and DQ's signature sprinkles. Yeah, that's right, kids. I said sprinkles. Are you celebrating a special occasion? Did you nail that presentation at work? Are you just enjoying an exceptionally beautiful day? Sounds like a celebration's in order. This limited time treat delivers again and again with each bite, and you can order it by name today. That's the Cake Batter Cookie Dough Blizzard, July's Blizzard Treat of the Month at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, my home DQ in Westmount, and Baseline Road out in Sherwood Park. We also wanted to give a big shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. I can tell you that these guys are hard at work, their entire team. We've been dealing with Andrea in their front office. She's an absolute dream to deal with on the customer service side, keeping everybody not just organized, but updated on the project. You know, we're getting some excavation done in our backyard. John, and because of rain over several days, it sort of backlogged their excavator, right? It meant that the project, that part of it was gonna be delayed a couple of days. You might say a couple of days, no big deal. She's reaching out to every single one of the clients, us included, letting us know, hey, if you're expecting us on Thursday, it's probably going to be Friday now. Scheduling matters. These are the small things that are the big things when you're dealing with a construction project, right? It's that attention to detail that comes with what you get when you deal with Eden Landscaping. You can check them out online today. That's landscapeedmonton.ca, a full-service custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. It's Eden Landscaping. And speaking, of course, of diligence and fabulous customer service on construction projects, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Complete Care Restoration. We've dealt with them firsthand. So there's no BS when I'm talking about Complete Care Restoration because we've seen them from the first stages taking a look around this space, letting us know if they thought that they could do in here, in our studio, what we wanted them to do, studying the blueprints, working with our designer, and then taking that project through to completion. It's what they do better than anybody else. Now, their main business is fire and flood restoration, and so if that's you this summer, number one, sincerely sorry about your luck, and number two, make the best move you can. Contact Complete Care Restoration today you can find their website under the sponsors tab on our website or give them a call at 780-454-0776 that's complete care restoration we're proud to partner with them right here at real talk Coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk, we're already looking forward to gathering on our Real Talk roundtable. We're going to be doing it via Zoom because they're going to be chiming in from BC. That's right. We're getting Jody Vance and Linda Steele to wake up early on the West Coast. They've just wrapped season one of Steele and Vance on check, and I just love the way that they break down the news of the day. It's guaranteed to be entertaining and informative, plus a letter from Jasper about bears and moose inspired by my Jasper memories tomorrow. We're going to get into it on Friday's Real Talk.
Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.